Welcome to Smart Software with Smart Logic, a podcast where we talk about best practices in web and mobile software development with a focus on new and emerging technologies. My name is Justice Ethan, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer at Smart Logic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the Smart Logic team today, I'm joined by none other than Eric Ostrich. Eric, say hello. Hello. Eric and I are working on the second season of Smart Software, and our theme this season is Elixir Internals. So we'll be talking today about the inner workings of one of the most popular Elixir libraries, Credo, and we're joined by the author, Renee Foring. Did I pronounce that right, Renee? Hi there. Yes, you did. Great. Renee, you're an old friend of ours from the Elixir conferences over the last few years. One of our favorite people to spend time with when we are in Bellevue and this year in Aurora. Renee, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background, the company you work at, how you got started with Elixir? Sure. So my name is Rene Föhring. You can find me on Twitter and GitHub under the handle Rene with a triple R, which is a bit like pirate speak. In my day job, I work at a company here in Germany called Five Minds IT Solutions, where I am head of product development. Five Minds is a premium provider of custom-made software for clients from a variety of verticals which basically means we are doing business with financial institutions, energy companies, hardware providers, automotive suppliers, you name it. Recently, we've also started developing our own product, which revolves around the analysis, design, and inspection of business processes, as well as automating those processes using our own workflow engine. But next to this, I'm also an open source maintainer and a conference speaker in my free time, And I guess that's why I'm on this podcast. You asked how I did get started with Elixir. Well, a couple of years back in 2014, I got stuck on my PhD project and there wasn't too much new stuff going on at work either. So I decided I wanted to learn a new programming language. And I had been working with Ruby for a decade and wanted to experience something new. I wanted to feel like a beginner again, and uh, my first try was Go. And after that, I tried returning to C++ and later C, because I had never mastered those. But my colleague and mentor, Peter, stopped me, and he basically said, those languages are cool and all, but if you actually want to learn something new, you should try to look into functional programming. And that's because he said, Functional programming is a completely different paradigm from object-oriented programming. And at the base level, C++ and Go are not that fundamentally different from Ruby, but Elixir is. And that's how it all started, and that was five years ago. Awesome. Cool. So let's let's uh, just jump right into talking about Credo. So like everyone probably already knows this, but let's just do it anyway. So what is Credo? Why might you want to use it? So Credo is a static analysis tool for the Elixir programming language. It offers you a focus on code consistency as well as teaching. So if you know any Linter from any other programming language like 
Rubocop or ESLint or StyleCop or PyLint. It basically does that, but it has a focus on being on requiring as few configuration settings as possible because it looks at your existing code and deduces the patterns it finds instead of forcing you to tell it which kind of intendation you should uh, use. That's the Tubsworth spaces argument dealt with. And also, Credo uh, puts an emphasis on, on teaching people. So it, uh, it does not just yell at you that something's wrong, but it rather tries to explain to you in plain English why you might not want to do that. Yeah, and I definitely like that it, it does not yell at you. That is the one nice feature compared to other linters that I've used in the past. Okay, so how did you decide to start writing Credo? Like, what was the inspiration? I was basically not satisfied with the state of linters and static analysis tools in our industry. I was the main contributor to Dogma, which was the de facto standard in Elixir linting five years ago. And Credo actually started as a Dogma wrapper, which you can still see in its initial commits. And while I was contributing heavily to Dogma, because I liked Elixir's tools for dealing with its own AST, I also grew, let's say, distant to Dogma's motto or vision, because Dogma had the tagline, a linter powered by shame, which in a way implies that it is just yelling at you. And I wanted to see if, if we couldn't treat the person in front of the screen as a human being, and instead of this sort of negative association of I want to enforce rules like a dogma. I wanted to build something that's more positive and that is also that you wanted to do like a credo that you would give yourself. I love that philosophy on things. I'm, I'm curious if we would, would be able to jump into, I guess, like the technical side a little bit. How did you think about like when, when you first started building it, how did you break down the problem for yourself? And like, what did you initially start working on? So as I mentioned, the first thing was to, to just wrap Dogma's rules in another interface. Because from a technical standpoint, Dogma was a, a tool that had to be a dependency of the project you wanted to analyze. So it had to be compiled alongside the, the source code it would analyze and I I knew I wanted to, to build a tool that you could in, install as an e-script and then just run on a code base, on multiple code bases. And so I had to kind of build a runtime for the existing dogma rules. And that was before I decided, okay, let's let's just make this a full-fledged project. So did you build directly on top of Dogma or were you like rewriting the... I think that in the startup world, you, you would call this a pivot because I started writing a wrapper for Dogma. So the very first commits, they still show that Credo had Dogma as a dependency. But I, when I, mm -hmm. I made the first release, like two to three months later, that was no longer the case. So this was like an exploratory phase. Okay, 
I did not want to like compete with Dogma necessarily because I think a lot of new communities and new, a lot of fresh communities get sort of fragmented by everybody starting their own project. So I, I took like a couple of weeks to, to really get into, we, in, into the mindset to say we should really improve this and we can't do it with the existing base, both from a technical point of view as well as a philosophical point of view. So if you were going to rewrite Credo, do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way or anything that you would do differently just given all the experience that you have now? Well, that's, that's kind of a tricky question. Because naturally, there were lots of hiccups where I would say I would do things differently. For example, the initial release, the 010 release, had a bug in it because I did not fully comprehend mix configuration and it would not compile. So after releasing my work of like 12 weeks, I had to make a patch release within 15 minutes but other than, than these completely normal things, I, I guess I was blessed with a very forgiving audience. And maybe, so conceptually, one thing I would do differently, I would simply focus on editor integration much sooner. In the beginning, I was too much focused on the command line interface, which is in a way my personal pride and joy because I think it re looks really gorgeous. But the real, like, I think the, the adoption curve really got good when people could integrate it into their editors. And that also yielded some of the, of the cases where Credo still fell short. For example, one, one great example is I implemented a check for updates because in my mind, everybody would use this on the command line or on a CI server. and it would check against the hex registry, against hex PM, to see if there was a new version of Credo to display sort of a small text banner saying, look, there's a new uh, version of Credo. And this check was on by default. So when the first editor integrations came, some of them would check the source code of the file in the current buffer at every keystroke. And that would let uh, that would lead credo to contact hex pm for every keystroke and at one point i got a message from eric from the hex team which basically said okay so credo is responsible for nine out of ten requests to the registry could you please deactivate this auto update functionality thing so i would probably not break hex pm again <laughs> So you're you're trying to start a DDoS campaign. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> As massive multiplayer DDoS. So let's get a bit into how these checks works. How do you write a check? What do they do? There are two types of checks in Credo. There are checks that run on all source files. So they basically get a list of source file structs and they are configuration parameters. The source file struct basically just contains the file name and the source code for a source file. And then there are checks, and there's the majority of them, that run on a single source file. So, for example, all the consistency checks 
have to take into account your whole code base. We have, for example, a consistency check that looks at exception modules and their naming patterns so that you don't have some exception modules that end in a suffix exception. And then you have one or two that end in the suffix error. You will you would get a warning from Credo and to facilitate this check, you of course have to load all the files and collect all their like characteristics regarding the exception module names and then deduce which are the most common patterns in terms of suffixes or prefixes and then make a decision what the correct kind of naming convention would be in your specific code base. But the vast majority of Credo checks are something like the module doc check, which just takes a Credo file, an Elixir file, and it looks at all the modules inside that file and whether or not they have a module doc a module attribute. So I think it's easier to explain it uh, for the for the latter part. You get the source file, and what most checks do is they facilitate their analysis by getting the AST for the source file and then traversing the AST for things they want to check for. And the module doc check, for example, it just traverses through the abstract syntax tree of each module, tries to encounter a module doc module attribute, and then looks if there is a value or if there's no module doc attribute for that given module. And each of these checks simply returns the issues it's, it finds. And that is also important because this means that checks are not conceptually tied to the rest of Credo's execution model. So basically, a check is just modules and functions. We want to talk a little bit about Elixir 1.6 and the formatter and how that impacted your development of Credo and sort of the future of the library, even though it's a, we're a little bit beyond now, but I'm still curious. Absolutely. So as you can imagine, uh, Elixir 1.6, uh, more specifically, the formatter that chips with Elixir 1.6 and later removes the need for several stylistic checks in Credo. But I think there are two caveats. One is that not everyone using Elixir 1.6 or later is also using the formatter. So there might be an audience there that still wants to use Credo for stylistic purposes. And secondly, I think Credo's strengths do not lie in these stylistic checks. We have um, lots of checks which are more concerned with refactoring your existing code. And one of my favorite examples is if you have an if-else construct and the condition in the is negated. So if you, for example, have a construct that says, if not locked in, do this, else do that, then I have to comprehend that the else block will be executed if the set condition is not not met. So we'll warn about this and explain it to you. As I said, sometimes you have these if constructs where you have a negated condition and you have an else block, and that's 
most of the times that's not a good idea and Credo will tell you with examples why it's not a good idea. Or we just merged a, a PR where we have a check that looks at with clauses and which parts of the with clause are actually used from the with construct and whether or not you can, for example, put the some clauses in the body of the with do and construct. And I'm sure there are many more examples where we could say Credo really tries to find those situations where a human mentor would say, okay, I saw something in your code. It's not that big of a deal, but if you have a minute after lunch, let's talk about it so you can learn something. And that is basically why I don't think that the formatter is in any kind, neither a replacement nor, for the lack of a better word, a threat to Credo. It does not take away anything from Credo, but I'm using the formatter from day one, and I think it's one of the greatest additions in Elixir since inception, because I completely do not think about code style from that point on. We've been making sure that it's enabled on all of our new projects. Credo 1.1 came out, I think, earlier this week as of the recording. So what's new in this in the, the point one release? So the point one release is really exciting for me because, to be honest, Credo 1.0, it was a big of a deal for me personally because I uh, worked on this project for so long. Uh, Credo went 1.0 on its third birthday to the day. But to be honest, I, I simply took too long to declare it 1.0. So it might as well, if somebody came up to me at a conference and said, let's be honest, Credo has been 1.0 for a year before you released 1.0, I, I would throw up my hands and say, you got me. Because I think that was very much a case of procrastination. But with Credo 1.1, we really get uh, something exciting, something that I always uh, wanted to do, and that is the introduction of Credo plugins. Because Credo from version 0.4 onwards allowed you to implement custom checks so that you could say, hey, we want to check for some proprietary stuff and we just want to implement a custom check just for our team. But these custom checks had, let's say, some problems that you could not solve with them. For example, if you would require compilation for your check to work, Credo is a static analysis tool by default, so that means it does not compile your code to deduce its issues. It just looks at your code. It does so in three ways. That is the AST analysis. Uh, we use the Elixir tokenizer, and we simply do raw text analysis on the source code. But with Credo plugins, you, you can write a plugin, for example, to integrate Dialyzer into your Credo CI step. And another thing is that plugins can inject themselves into any phase of Credo's execution process, and they can keep and modify state in Credo's execution struct. 
So let's come up with a completely contrived example. Let's say we wanted to build a check that looks for to-do comments and that we have the sort of the rule on our team that when you make a to-do comment, you should add the, the GitHub username. You should add mention the person responsible. And then suddenly we realize, oh, we have lots of those to-do comments targeted at folks who are no longer in our team, no longer in our company. So we wanted to write a custom credo check that goes through all the to-do comments and then looks if the person mentioned is still a member of the GitHub org of our company. You could not do that with custom checks because let's say you have uh, 500 source files in each project and you have 10 projects that are 5,000 files. And for each file, you would have to contact the GitHub API, download all the org members, and then look at the list again. But since plugins give you the facilities to keep and modify state in the execution struct of Credo, you could simply write a plugin that injects one task into Credo's execution process, which goes to the GitHub API and downloads all the, all the usernames from all the members from your org. And then you write a custom check that just looks into that list that you just stored in the execution struct. And that is something that you would not have been able to do before. So I'm wondering if maybe now would be a good time to segue into some some more general questions on your experience contributing to like open source in general, Renee. Like, you know, Credo or Credo. I assume it wasn't your the first open source project you worked on. You know, can you talk a little bit more about like your experience at working open source generally? What was the first library you contributed to? You know, how did you decide to get started in this world of uh, writing code for free. <laughs> I guess I started, I sort of tried to uh, trace my, my steps back on, on GitHub, which is pretty easy, I found out. And I actually started like nine years ago by publishing a, a Ruby open source project I did at work and I convinced my boss to let me publish it. And I wrote a small jQuery plugin, which I also published. And it it was not until a year later that I actually made my first pull request to another project, the first real open source contribution that was not just open sourcing something I had done and then waiting for the fame to roll in. And that uh, first library I contributed Are you you saying that that strategy doesn't work? Well, it did not for me. So if you you guys consider Credo a success, it's one of those overnight successes that take 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still waiting for my my, my stars and PRs for all the stuff I open source that people don't use. Um, But but do you remember what that first library was? It was a Ruby gem called Terminal Table that lets you print ASCII tables in the terminal. And I created a pull request for multi-line cell support. And you asked how, how I decided to get started. And I have to say, I did not really decide to get started on this path because the mentor I mentioned before, the one who eventually got me into Elixir, his name is Peter Leitzen. You can look him up. He goes by the handle of Splatterl. He basically 
carried me over the finish line. So Peter had been pushing me for years to do, do more in the space. He first talked me into Ruby, then into open source, then into going to meetups and eventually conferences and later public speaking. <laughs> and I worked with him for the better part of two decades for a total of 16 years. And I think it's fair to say that I owe him everything I am as an engineer today. So maybe that's one thing why I always thought of, I wanted Credo to be kind of a mentor, a digital mentor, a robot mentor for people because I was fortunate enough to have a human mentor, which is a privilege that not everybody has in life. And I think that really got me started. And also I learned from him that it's really the small wins that count and that's probably a life lesson and sometimes people think in open source that it's all you sit down for like three months in a dark room with a hoodie on and then you make this perfectly crafted pr that revolutionizes ai blockchain dark mode something but in reality it's really small fish is important so it's it's really one pull request at a time. So documentation is important. Just reporting bugs is incredibly important. Providing minimal reproducible examples for bugs is super important. It's a bit like this broken window policy that you guys in the States had at some point where the police got a hold that they also have to go out and fix the small problems because you can't fix the big ones when the people don't call you because their expectation is you don't even fix the small problems, so I won't call you for the big ones. And this kind of was something I learned from, from that first PR going forward so that I probably did like five or 600 pull requests in my time in open source and most of them are mundane. Most of them are really grunt work, fixing a typo in a readme or something like that, fixing a broken link. But this stuff is really important. You can't do the fancy and the exciting stuff without putting in the work to do the janitor work. That is certainly something I had to learn in those 10 years that I've been an active part of the open source community. So contributing to open source has been a huge part of me understanding that everybody perceives the world in a different way things are not black and white and i i started contributing when i was around 25 and for me that was an age when i really thought that i had figured it all out that when i code that's basically golden truth flowing through my fingers into the keyboard and open source taught me that there are many uh, different ways to approach a problem, that you have to be a good citizen, that you have to empathize with the person at the other end of a pull request, at the other end of an online conversation. And I think that really helped me grow both as a programmer, but maybe even as a, as a person. Wow, that is tremendous. 
advice. I, I loved every piece of that, Renee, especially the broken window policing theory of open source. I really like that. We do have more questions, but we are also pretty much out of time. Eric, do you have any more that you really want to slide in here before we get to the wrap up? No, I think we're good. That was just such a strong note to end on. Renee, thank you so much for coming on. We are so grateful for the work that you do on Credo. And we are also just so grateful to have you as a part of the community. You're really someone that we look forward to seeing at uh, conferences and that sort of thing. And so, so just thank you. Before we go, we want to ask you, do you have any final plugs, asks for the audience, shameless self-promotion, where to find you or find Credo, anything like that before we close out? So I think if you're interested in, in contributing, you can find Credo on GitHub. You can also find me on GitHub. The handle is Renee with a triple R in the front. And I love to get people onboarded into the process of helping with Credo, of uh, getting into the issues, providing a good first PR and mentoring people through their pull requests. So don't be shy. Don't be a stranger say hi and report the issues that you find. That is great advice for developers, young and old. Thank you so much, Renee, for your time. Renee Furring, everybody, the author of Credo, our uh, style checker of choice in the Elixir world. And once again, this has been an episode of Smart Software with Smart Logic with Renee Futtering, my co-host Eric Ostrich, and myself, Justice Epen. We'll be back next time for more conversation on the alchemy of Elixir. Have a great rest of your week. Bye.